Welcome everybody to episode 50 of the Two on Three podcast, where two of your friends take on three topics in 30 minutes. You should follow us at Two on Three Pod on Twitter, and you can send us email at at Two on Three Pod.com. I'm Chris, and I'm trying to decide whether to buy a new car or a Peloton indoor cycle for Christmas this year. <laughs> and you can find me at CD Villasenor on Twitter. And with me, as always, is Ty. Where can we find your holiday tweets? I'm not tweeting much about the holiday season. <laughs> well, you're tweeting, you're tweeting, and it's the holidays. <laughs> so, the, you know, I guess they're holiday tweets, maybe not holiday related tweets. Is this like the daily meat slicing? <laughs> yes, which we could get into a little later. Anyway, whatever tweets I do pump out are at S-E-A-T-J-K. Yeah, so today's a special show. We are, uh, we've are we reached our one-year anniversary. A year ago, we decided to dip a toe into this podcasting thing, and I know I've had a lot of fun doing it over the past year. And um, So what are, your, what are your impressions of our first year here, Ty? Um. It's, it's amazing how I'm sure that most podcasters can relate to this, but some weeks it feels really easy and other weeks it, it feels really difficult. And I always feel like when uh, when it does not coming easy to me that I'm a burden to you. So, you know, it's a, it's both a hobby and a, and a sense of unpleasant obligation. So, you know, it's like anything good. Yeah, I think that um, for me, it's really a, an insight into just doing this thing, which is 45 minutes to an hour once a week. Mm-hmm. gives me an amazing appreciation for the people who have to actually broadcast on a daily basis and how they can do that at all. It's an amazing talent that those people have to be able to put on daily shows or weekly shows. I, agree. I don't know I don't know how they do it. I think, you know, it's uh it's something when you sort of peel the 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 curtain back, you think, "Wow, it's a this is difficult." And to the people who, to the podcasters out there who I listen to who all do an excellent job and um Thank you to those as well for being a uh, constant inspiration to us as we uh, as we continue to plow through this stuff. Yeah, I like to hear everybody's different take on things and, and their different styles, right? The way that the, the different shows come out, especially the, the indie community that we've been lucky to uh, sort of be a part of, at least in the outer orbit for the last year or so. Uh, we've definitely appreciated all the support from folks that retweet and, and interact with us on the internet. Um, that makes it a lot more rewarding than just shouting into the void, so... Um, as challenging as it can be some weeks, uh, you know, I, I agree with you about the respecting people who do it for a living. Um, that said, I, I do think I'd be a lot better at it if I was like, you know, preparing for it full time. <laughs> so if it was your job, yes. And you had a producer and you had other things that if happened. I had a team, yeah. And we were trying to do stuff. I think I could, you know, pull something together, but, uh, I definitely respect the, uh, the amount of preparation and then the, the need to, um, you know, develop, I don't want to say a take, but just something interesting to say, something that you feel like is worth taking people's time to put out in the world. Great. All right, so what are we chatting about today? Well, the ghost of uh, Christmas past is going to explore some of uh, our Christmas memories. Uh, The ghost of Christmas present is going to take a look at how Twitter's out to destroy all of us, and in the end probably will. And the Ghost of Christmas Future is going to take a look at uh, the upcoming trailers uh, for some movies coming up. So we'll visit the trailer park there. And in the overtime, we'll follow up on a few loose items. Keeping it, uh, maybe we'll keep it a little breezy tonight. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying desperately right now to come up with a Christmas Carol pun to, to tie in with your, your three ghosts. And I just, I'm falling flat on my face. <laughs> well, uh, we won't stretch it. We won't, we won't pull a muscle stretching 
too hard for it. But uh, <laughs> so what I wanted to start off today in the in segment one here is just Christmas memories and thinking about how different Christmas is for a, you know when you're a kid and then when you're an adult slash parent. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, it's really funny because you know we've we've at this point both of us have done Christmas as a kid, Christmas as a single adult, and then Christmas as a parent. And I think that they're u- u- <laughs> uniquely different takes on on the holiday season because you know I grew up in a in a Catholic family, so there's this huge buildup in the church when you're a churchgoer especially a Catholic churchgoer, the build-up to Christmas is immense. It starts, and it just crescendos into this giant thing. And when I was a kid, we still had Midnight Mass, uh-huh. which for a Catholic kid is akin to torture. Because, <laughs> because it's already Christmas, right? And you're, you're just thinking, i got to get it presents. Uh-huh. And then your folks say to you, we're going to midnight mass. Now there were other options, but my folks were down for the midnight mass. And in my town, it was a big deal. I mean, the church was full. It had, you know, instead of like two altar boys, it's like an army of altar boys, full choir, adult children. I mean, it's just a huge deal, but it starts at midnight, which Uh is crazy. So your folks are trying to get you down for a nap on Christmas Eve, which is not going to happen for a seven year old kid. Right. Right. It's like you're already jacked for this. And then by the time you get to, you know, by the time you get to church, it's midnight. And then by the time that mass is over, it's two. How does that affect your Christmas morning? Like, are you still <laughs> up four hours later? Crack of dawn? <laughs> right. So, so now, so now you have to go home. And as a kid, now that, now that you've endured this entire thing, you're like, I need presents and I need them now. But it's two o'clock in the morning. So your mm-hmm. folks are like, no, <laughs> but that only lasts for so long because you're like, come on, can we just get one present or right. whatever? And it really, it was, you had to, you had to get, you had to get paid off because there's no way a kid's going to go to sleep at two in the morning Yeah, on Christmas morning without some presents, right? Yeah. Did you have a, what was your, what was your, uh, what was your, uh, your, uh, your kid Christmas like? Uh, you know, quite a variety for a number of reasons. Uh, we moved around a lot when I was young. So, um, my memories are, you know, probably unsurprisingly very self-centered because <laughs> um, we didn't have, you know, what I would call tradition until I was a little bit older, um, approaching junior high, perhaps when my family finally settled into, my parents finally settled into what were going to be their careers. My earliest Christmas memory is actually living in a, an apartment in, in, uh, Brooklyn, New York. Um, old enough to write, obviously not, you know, particularly, te- <laughs> particularly neatly. Um, and I got up in the middle of the night on Christmas and the apartment was, you know, black or dark blue, I should say, cause the city is never dark. You know, the apartments are never dark unless your curtains are drawn in New York. Like there's sure. always a blue light of, of, of the evening. And I walked out to the living room and saw that, you know, there were presents and there was this really cool, um, like Santa Claus bear stuffed animal that has some sort of light up heart. Um, and it didn't have a tag on it. And I was like, well, I don't know who that's for. So I went and found a post-it note and wrote to tie from Santa. Only I misspelled Santa. 
<laughs> and Satan. stuck yeah <laughs> from Satan I think it was uh, I, I don't remember how I did it it was a uh, Stanta something maybe or, or, or <laughs> you know I don't know Satna something like that um, but then stuck this post-it note on this bear as if I was going to fool my parents that oh well they're going to think that Santa brought this for me and stuck this post-it note on it um, but tradition wise yeah no nothing like that and I wish I had more fun Christmas stories um I mean, living in Alaska when I was in high school was fun. We, we built, you know, giant tobogganing runs down the side of this mountain. But that's not so much a, a Christmas past story as it is just opportunistic lifestyle choices in the wintertime. <laughs> so, the, uh, so after we sort of, you know, bullied my parents into letting us open a few gifts, the mm-hmm. few years after that turned into them just letting us open all of our gifts because they knew they weren't going to get... They weren't going to get a moment's peace until we just went ahead and had Christmas present opening. Mm-hmm. And then... So now, like, for years, did you just do it at 2 in the morning? Yeah. So <laughs> we just did it. We just opened presents at 2 in the morning. And and then my folks would just go to bed. And my brother and sister mostly just went to bed. And I would stay up all night playing with my toys. Like, getting them all set up, getting them built, getting, getting things getting things together. I think that, uh, and then just going around and playing with each toy. Like I play with this one for 20 minutes, play with this other toy for a little while, you know, and then everybody finds you passed out on the floor in the morning. (laughs) Essentially, (laughs) essentially I just, you know, me eating cereal by myself at nine 30 in the morning because everyone else is asleep. Do you still end up with like a Christmas dinner situation when you do the mass thing the night before? Are you still doing the big feast? No. no, it was it, the meal. The meal schedule around our house was pretty regular. It was like there was no Christmas. There was no Christmas meal. It was all. It was you know. It was midnight mass. It was presents, and then everyone was just passed out. Well, and like you said before, you didn't have other family to come, right? To come crash at your place, and so you no, didn't have people was, to get together. No, yeah. Since all we were the only ones living in this country. When I was a kid, we had great toys like electric football. Do you remember electric football? Uh, vaguely, I don't think it was. I'm old enough to ever have actually played with it. I know what it is. <laughs> back, kids, back in the day before we had video games, like before you had <laughs> Madden 2019, which is like watching TV and watching people play on TV. We had little plastic guys who played football on a vibrating, <laughs> on a vibrating uh, football field, uh-huh. and and I remember the year I got football. Um, I got, um, I also got, you also got sets of players. So you get the default set of players, which are like generic, but the Sears catalog allowed you to buy whole divisions of football players. And I got the NFC Central. And I think it was different back then. Maybe the NFC East, because it was three divisions. It was three, there were only three, there were only three divisions in each conference. Right. There was no. Yeah, like the Seahawks used to be in the NFC West. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it was the NFC Central and the NFC East. So you had to, like, get all these out, and then you had to get... Then they had these sheets of numbers that you had to peel off and sticker the each player with their numbers on the back. Which, I mean, which took hours. Right. Consider you had... You know, Did you enjoy team. that part? Oh my god, it was the best part. <laughs> the free me? child labor t- child toy uh, toy assembly. No, no, that was the best part. That was the best part is the not you know the two hours you spent peeling these stickers off and making sure that 
every player got because you know there was the fast looking players and the mm-hmm. lineman looking players and you had to you know you had to look and you know you had to find I had had like whatever the football pro football prospectus was so you had mm-hmm. all the numbers of the players you liked so you was like oh the starting center's number 52 and you had to like find 52 and peel that was just it's as much as arts and crafts as I think I've ever <laughs> done oh absolutely I remember playing with like Warhammer figurines like playing role uh, sort of the interactive role playing games and you had to paint them yourself and that was part of the deal and there's a whole culture around the artwork on these tiny little miniatures man I, I could not do the painting miniatures thing it's it was uh, it took me a long time to get even halfway decent at it a lot yeah. of practice yeah you have, did you have that? You have to use the magnifying glass thing, or do you just, um, you no. just sort of eyeball it? Yeah, I mean, I, if I really wanted to, I would, but uh, for the most part, you just it just took a lot of practice, and you get to the point where you can at least do half decent detail. But if you really want to get serious about it, you mean like an airbrush and stuff, and I'm not, I was oh. never in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's too much. That's too much. Do you still yeah. have um, Santa believers in your house? I or do you, have. I have one. You still I have, have one? one. I have one left. Because that's my concern as I get older and dealing with Christmas is that I definitely feel like I'm just like I did with, you know, as a, as a teen and become jaded about the holiday. Even with the kids, it's like, God, this is a lot of effort. (laughs) (laughs) The other day I had to explain to him that, that the, the Santas at the malls are simply just representatives. I mean, it's like I said, I said to him, I said, here's the deal, bud. Like Santa is busy, man. He doesn't have time to like go to every mall and sit there and listen to kids have their. So he has to designate representatives who sit. That's why they look different. Sometimes they have like a big beard or sometimes a small beard, but they're taking that data and they're giving it to Santa, who's has a lot to do between now and Christmas. (laughs) So that's I had to explain why <laughs> I had to uh, I had to retcon the uh, the reason that the Santa at the mall is not the real Santa. Well, see that's but, good. That sets up you can watch Home Alone because Home that's what Home Alone uses, right? That's the <laughs> device that <laughs> I'm old enough to know how it works. Right. <laughs> but now kids don't have to put together their toys. They just have to wait like an hour and a half for their PlayStation to update their uh, you know their install of whatever see that's the only kind of toy i still like the kind i get to build <laughs> yeah yeah but well, before we before we get to the next one uh best get... christmas present you ever had you oh ever ever, ever? Wow. um i want to say original nes original nintendo entertainment system mm. um we got it like i was living in new york at the time and so we got it like before it came out out here so mm. when i first moved out here to the west coast I was the only kid that had one. Wow. And so it was awesome when we got it. And then it was awesome again, like six months later when we relocated to the West coast. And I was like, Hey, check this shit out. This is back when country bumpkins. This is back when things you actually used to release, you know, in a Metro, like Metro cities first. And, and New York always, if it was New York, you got everything first. Yeah. And that was, uh, gave me some good cachet. It made uh, elementary school pretty easy for me to <laughs> assimilate into. The uh, the best present we ever got as a we got a team present for all the kids for the three of us kids and I wish I still had it and I don't know what happened to it after my folks moved but we had a full bore kiss pinball machine oh wow like and it's probably worth ten thousand dollars today likely yeah but it was awesome and everybody in the neighborhood loved to come play it it played rock and roll all night it was 
just hours and hours and hours of fun. I've told my wife that recently that if I ever hear the thing, you know, if you ever really wanted to get me a gift that it would like blow my mind, a few here's a few pinball machines that I would love to own, <laughs> and. I was like, just so you know, I don't expect you to ever do this because these are absurdly expensive and they're impossible to maintain. So while I really want one, I also kind of don't. Right. And then a few days later, she's like, so I looked into that. And I was like, yeah, exactly. She made a face. (laughs) Yeah. It's never happening. Don't worry about it. Man, that Kiss pinball machine must be worth thousands and thousands in in full working shape. Also, some sort of a midget-sized train. And I don't mean midget in a a derogatory little people way. I mean... (laughs) Like in the descriptive actual size way uh, to run through the middle of my house, you know, basically silver spoons. The silver I mean. spoon, yeah. You want to, you want to, you want to you wanna recreate the Stratton residence. Is exactly. What you, is, is, is you're saying. <laughs> you know, I did achieve a lifelong goal recently, more or less, and I, I hate that? to run long now, but um, I got you know the Nintendo Classic. Uh, I have both the Super Nintendo and the Nintendo Classic. The what is it called? The, the, I'm sorry. I'm, the, my memory is failing me. Where it comes preloaded with games. It's just a flash memory device, and you just plug it into the TV. Uh-huh. Well, so I also now, as an adult, have a 75-inch television. And so I am playing original Super Mario Brothers on a 75-inch television. Mario, <laughs> Mario's damn near the size of a human being, and it, it's something I've been trying to do since I was about six years old. So exciting it's am- times. It's amazing. Yeah, it's great. Doing your speed runs in giant size Mario. Yeah, it's actually, I think, harder. Like, I can't see the whole screen at once. (laughs) (laughs) That's beautiful. All right. Transitioning into our Ghost of Christmas present. uh, I thought I'd take a a look at how basically Twitter is ruining us all. (laughs) Like, Twitter at this point has become the weapon that, you know, we uh, we love, you know, I love Twitter. I mean, in certain ways. I mean, we, we... chat at each other we it's more bad we than share good, stuff though, outside of what but we do outside of what we do <laughs> it is becoming like the weaponization of twitter is because it's going to be the death of us all or is it going to be the death of twitter at some point so over the past little while um well over the past week we've seen two instances where twitter has taken someone's accomplishments and basically turned them on their head and then stabbed them right first mm-hmm. was kevin hart this week. So Kevin Hart gets asked to uh, host the Oscars. And uh, upon two seconds after the announcement hits, there's an article like, Kevin Hart said terrible things about people on Twitter ten years ago. Sure. (laughs) Okay, he's a comedian. Yeah. It's pretty easy, you know. James Gunn ran across the same thing. Yeah, he, you know, where well, he said Kevin Hart made a "that's gay" joke in 2011. Right. Okay. <laughs> then on Sunday or Saturday, Kyler Murray wins the Heisman Trophy, mm-hmm. and literally 30 minutes later, not even the follow-up article, Kyler Murray, you know, uses gay slur in a tweet that he made when he was 15 years old. Which, again, like a six-year-old, like a like a five, six-year-old tweet. Like, they dug this up. And so the first question is, are people just waiting in the wings? Just Do they know they're, they're, just, they're just sitting on these things, waiting for somebody to accomplish something so they could immediately go on Twitter and shit on you for, I mean, granted, things that you probably shouldn't have said. Mm-hmm. But what's the statute of limitation on, like, say, a Kevin Hart who... Ha- 10 years ago made a callous 
you know, a callous remark um, as a comedian, and then ten years later accomplishes something pretty amazing, like this invite to host. You know, he's been doing comedy on stage. He's and been entertaining people for years and years and years. He gets a chance to do the Oscars, and then all of a sudden they've they 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 pull this out and they crap on him so hard that um, that he has to to step down. Well, there are a couple of things going on here. Um, first of all, whether or not people are waiting, I think is irrelevant in this only because I don't, have you ever used the advanced search on Twitter? No, it's super duper easy to use. You can find basically anything on anyone's account in seconds. Um, and because it's so easy to use, I would say that if you, the minute you get any kind of notoriety of any kind, or even before that, actually, now that you know how the dynamic works, it's in your best interest to do some searching in your own profile and just delete some old shit. Or maybe just delete it all. <laughs> sure, whatever. Reset the button. When you're already famous, just reset your, your entire account. But, um, yeah, I mean, if, if I had if I was a teenager who became like a, a Division One athlete, 100% I would delete whatever old Twitter account I had and just start a new one. Uh, as a celebrity, it's a little more challenging. Um, not that you can't regain your followers and you certainly can just turn it off, but it's not... It's not so onerous to clean up your past on Twitter if you know how to do it, if you take the five minutes it takes to learn how to use that search engine. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it works really fast. And I don't know that I had ever, you know, tweeted anything extremely offensive. But when this became a thing, like really like in earnest a few months back over the summer, I spent some time like just going back and kind of keying in a few different things to see if I had I was kind of actually came came away a, a bit proud of myself. I thought I would have been much more uh, <laughs> generally offensive, considering I've been you know using it for seven or eight years. Um, but luckily, I didn't you know sign up until I was in my late twenties, so I had some modicum of maturity, and I wasn't posting the kinds of shit I probably would have written on it at at fifteen, sixteen, and seventeen. Yeah. Um, and then the second thing that I that comes to mind for me in this is this, in this dynamic is this weird nexus of authenticity that we're living in and I use the word nexus only because it's a confluence of multiple types of things that are going on so uh, the dishonesty in public life is sort of a, a newish not a newish not a new phenomenon but the, the brazen dishonesty uh, of, of people living in public life um, I think is is something we're still getting used to even after a, you know quite a few years of it um, from numerous folks and then are you are you referring to the basically the throwaway white lie like someone says oh yeah sure i did this or whatever and then they just sort of forget about it and then it gets resurfaced later i I, you know politically i think we're dealing with this sort of the say the quiet part loud thing that's been going on you know for a few years now Uh, i think that's somewhat let me get right to the point which is that there's this weird confluence of events that are requiring you to kind of say what you mean and not be able to say something that maybe is outside your character in order to get a reaction. Because if you're trying to make a joke or whatever, it's, I think the scales have tipped in a way where it's like other people look at you and go, look, it's not worth it for you to try to say this edgy thing. It's not funny enough. Um, your joke sucks, whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and we're really trapped in the moment with regard to looking at the past and saying, well, you shouldn't have said that. So now you're going to pay the price for it seven years later. Now, yeah, Kevin Hart shouldn't have been making gay jokes in 2011. I mean, I personally had that awakening when I, you know, had dealt with folks who were different than me in like 2001. And I said it sort of nonchalantly because it was part of my vocabulary and realized it was offensive to somebody who was in my presence. And I was like, oh, hey, yeah, that's not cool. I should probably stop. But, you know, 
and not everybody has that experience or, or isn't self-aware enough to be working on it all the time. So I, I'm being very long-winded about this, but we're trapped in this thing where you can't, I don't think, be a performance artist on the internet. I think people are going to look at something like Twitter specifically that's a written medium and say, well, you said that's what you said. There is no room for nuance. It's what you said. You right. wrote it there. It's, you know, there's nothing to be um, done about it. And I think that there's just not a lot of room in the conversation for nuance. Uh, I wish I could articulate articulate this better, but I felt like I was the only person last week, and this is going to sound terrible, but I'm going to go ahead and say it, who felt like some ambivalence about the Kareem Hunt situation. Now, violence is bad always and you should never resort to violence but I watched that video and I saw something that looked like a two drunk people having a disagreement one being told to leave not liking being told to leave really continuing to be the aggressor until finally you know Kareem makes a mistake crashes into his buddy who also crashes into that woman and obviously hurts her and then he you know I mean Walks up the and kick. Get, but the kick isn't, it's not material, right? If you watch the video, it's not really meaningful. He doesn't hurt her, but it's terrible. The optics are terrible. Yeah. I mean, I think the whole, th- I mean, that being, <laughs> that being sort of that kind of video evidence being outside the point. Mm-hmm. I think that what, I think getting back to your point that there, there really is no more room for, there's no, there's no wiggle room for nuance on Twitter. Mm-hmm. There's, it's, it really is. You wrote, you know, you wrote the word, I don't know, whatever, right. whatever you wrote. And now here it is. Now I'm going to band it about and I'm going to parade it around. And context has nothing to do with it either. Right. I think that that I think if you've followed comedy long enough, you know that, you know, from a from a cultural perspective, like a black comedian probably makes some gay jokes, right. especially in 2011. Right. I mean, that was that is not an uncommon thing. If if you're a if you're a consumer of stand up comedy at all, that's not a huge shock that that a black comedian would make some gay jokes. I mean, it's just just not. It's certainly more likely. But yeah, it's not. It's certainly not exclusive to. No, it's not exclusive to the it's not exclusive to the black comedian, but it's not. It's it's pretty common. Uh But Kevin Hart, you know, I mean, but. At some point, we've decided not to let people evolve. We've decided not to let people, like in the in the in the case of Kyler Murray. I mean, the things you tweet when you're 15 years old to your friends, like I think he called his friend queer, uh. seems pretty innocuous from a you know from a from a 15 year old to a 15 year old talking to each other or whatever two friends. Sure, like. I could count on everyone's fingers and toes how many times I said something like that to my buddy when I was a young teenager. Well, I, I think that the, the fact that there isn't nuance, too, is actually bad for everyone because the, we, the reality is you should be taught that these things you're saying, you should make different choices. But sure. When, but when everything is, you know, a tightrope and a, and a... But when you're young and stupid and you don't have the tools to deal with this kind of stuff... I mean, yeah, I someone just, has to correct you. Now, people are just making their mistakes on Twitter, right. and it just ends up set in stone. So, which brings me to my next point. At what point do people just start abandoning Twitter? I mean, what, I mean when people start just not, not engaging in that way on Twitter just because it's simply too dangerous. And I think we're, I think we're getting close to that, to the point where I, as a parent, certainly am going to tell my daughter 
and son. It's like, you know, you probably shouldn't tweet. Yeah, it's for adults. It's for adults. And the things you put on social media are going to be there essentially forever. They can, they could, they can certainly affect you. Uh, And not just as a high school student, but maybe your ability to get into the college you want. I mean, there's lots of, there's lots of, there seems to be now more ways that Twitter and social media can destroy you than any sort of upside. Yeah. I continue to be of two minds on this because I, again, I think that there is value in the corrective action that the web in general has on anyone who's willing to change. I think that someone who's willing to grow and can see and learn from a mistake, like that's really important. And the web can connect people in a way that says, wow, this person who I thought I hate is just another person that they may not get that experience ever in person. So they, you know, they could, but at one point, at what point is it's none of the web's goddamn business. You know what I'm saying? No, I, I, if Kevin Hart, if Kevin Hart doesn't step down, if Kevin Hart just steps up and says, you know, in 2011 as a young comedian, I made a lot of jokes about gay people and, and, and I realized that that's, something i should have done and i'm really looking forward to hosting the oscars yeah i'm actually surprised that we don't that people it in society or i think it we're not accepting of that or at least there's a loud minority who's not accepting of that sort of contrition um Mm -hmm. and that in a way that i kind of agree that that's what i I mean if it happened to me that's what i would have said i would say yeah okay you're right I've, I've looked at this, I've reviewed this, and now I'm going to go back. I'm going to see what else I wrote. And, and if there's other people that have offended, I'd love to hear from you if I've said something offensive because I'd like to learn. And I have learned over the last few years not to make these kinds of jokes or say these kinds of things. But in the past, I've made mistakes. And that's this is, goes all the way back to like A-Rod when he got caught cheating. Like, right? Why, why, why lie or why, why just – it's not the same as Kevin Hart who just said, well, I think Kevin Hart actually – it's funny you say, is Twitter worth it? I think Kevin Hart washed his hands at the Oscars. He's like, I don't need this. <laughs> sure. I think it's just like I was going to do it because it's a good opportunity, but I don't really need it, right? He's I'm, yeah. I sell out arenas. That's what I'm doing for a living. So yeah, to to oh, I it's mean, a no win situation. Yeah, he well, washed his hands of the event, not of the. It's an interesting point that he just didn't want to deal with the the bullshit yeah. like going forward, and so is so to your point is the, the Oscars is worse sought for than Kevin Hart is. is I think your, so. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. But I do think that, I mean, he did say a lot of the right things and hopefully he follows through on it. I, you know, and then I see these calls. Well, he needs to become a, 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 a you know, gay rights activist, or LGBTQ rights no, activist. And it's like, no, no he, he doesn't. doesn't. <laughs> no, he doesn't. he doesn't. I also, doesn't. I don't like making excuses for anyone about this. And I hate that I like, feel like I'm the Kareem Hunt defender when that's not really a popular position to be in. I just, I both want the corrective action that the internet has brought to society to tip things more in an, you know, back towards the or, or more towards equality. Um, and I also want there to be still be room for a, a nuanced discussion that where more than one person can be at fault. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think we live in a world where both of those things can happen, but, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe someday, who knows? Right, maybe someday. I, could, I hold out. hope. I'd, I'd like to be surprised by it. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking <laughs> of, uh, going into the ghost of Christmas future, we decided to take a look at, uh, to take a stop at the trailer park this week. Uh, for a Wait, look did at... you want me to put the weird drop in? I think I'm going to do it. <laughs> All right. Prepare for the weird drop. I don't know about other trailer parks, but the park that I live in, there are certain requirements you have to meet in order to live here. So uh, before, we get into the, before we get into the trailer park, I actually saw a future movie over the weekend. So uh, sidebar, my son 
over the in the fall played in a Minecraft league and um, <laughs> esports league for uh-huh. for young people, which was uh-huh. which was actually pretty fun. It, I mean, there's probably a, a larger conversation around around that later, but uh, as part of the uh, league, we got a chance to preview uh, Spider uh, Spider Man into the Spider Verse on Saturday. Which was great. It was just for free. I mean, it was part of uh, it was part of paying for the league, and uh, and we got a chance to see it. And let me tell you what, it's terrific. I'm very jealous. I mean, it is. It's all the things that uh, that that uh, the the animation's really cool and different. Yeah, the art um, looks really amazing. The all the all the acting is good. Lots of feels. You know, I think that. Uh, did did you did you uh, did you see Big Hero Six? Mm-hmm. You know, Big Hero Six gave you those feels, like mm-hmm. some feels out of that. They, Spider-Man, managed to pull some feels. It was really good. Um, I definitely recommend it for, for for everybody. I mean, my my uh, and my uh, my son, who's nine, uh, he doesn't know a lot about the broader Spider Verse, Spider uh-huh. Universe. But it was they they did a good job of getting getting uh, getting their arms around people who may or may not be familiar with how Marvel handled the Spider-Verse over the last couple of years when, when that when that ran as a comic book. So it's pretty accessible, and it's it's really well done. Good. The trailers made, certainly has made it, made it seem like it's very accessible, that, that you didn't need a lot of understanding of the backstory in order to uh, appreciate the, the multiverse aspect of the Yeah, and I think Spider-Man. that... Right. <laughs> Spider-Man. His <laughs> name's not Spider-Man. <laughs> Spider-Man. Goldman. The... Goldman. the uh, and... Um, and it's good that you don't have to deal with so much, you know. I think we're getting to the point in superhero movies where you don't have to delve too much into origin too mm-hmm. much, which is which is a nice place to be because I just can't sit through too many more origin movies. But, well, speaking uh, of Spider-Man, that's actually uh-huh. my biggest gripe with the Homecoming movie that we had from last year is that it's a really good uh kids movie because it's oriented around a, a child right he's a high schooler so mm-hmm. i know it's for teens but the violence is just too serious <laughs> like the vulture character and the violence that goes on around that all that stuff is just it's it's too serious for younger children and i realize it's not for them but whatever i, I <laughs> like we've talked about in the past i'm rushing my children into way too mature fair way too early and that one is just a little bit too steep right off the beginning i'm like oh this uh this violence is a little more than i'm, I'm comfortable with Right, right. It's like when I took um, my daughter, who at the time was maybe nine or ten, I took her to see Winter Soldier, mm. <laughs> which is it's a war by, movie, which is by far and away the most violent of the of the of the uh, Marvel Marvel Universe movies. It yeah. is way, way over the top. Um, but anyway, go see uh, go see Spider Man uh, into the Spider Verse. It's really fun. Good good movie. Um, but then we're gonna take a look at. Uh, Godzilla, King of Monsters, King of the Monsters. Did you get a chance to look at the? Did you get a chance to look at it? I did, and I was fine with it. So I'm not really a big Godzilla guy, and I don't know. I can't honestly, for the life of me, remember or not. So this is a sequel, and I can't remember whether or not I saw the one that came out in 2014. I genuinely cannot recall whether or not I've seen it. <laughs> I think I have. You know, Aaron Taylor Johnson and Brian Cranston, but I also feel like maybe I've just seen the trailer so many times that I think I've seen it. Yeah. But that's neither here nor there. Point being is that this movie, I was like, all right, sure. You know, this is definitely the kind of thing I'll see when it, it comes around 
on in the in the free rotation or on the Netflix rotation or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but right up until the very end, where Godzilla and uh, and I can't tell you that I know the name of the multi-headed monster uh, that they feature in the trailer. Could be Gamera. Okay. Is it Gamera? Uh huh. I always thought it was like Gamora. You know, like Sodom and Gamora. <laughs> I don't know, but Maybe. there's a there's a the last shot of the trailer like they go head to head, uh huh, and it just that part looked dumb. I don't know. Did you do you have a different take? No. So sidebar <laughs> to about two weeks ago, I made my daughter watch Son of Godzilla from 1968. It just happened to be <laughs> on Stars or one of these one of these free premium channels or uh-huh. one of these premium channels that I get and <laughs> I made her watch the whole thing and she was horrified by the fact that they make people dress up in these costumes and wreck model cities <laughs> and I <laughs> and, it, and it just kept getting more hilarious and more hilarious and more hilarious and, and what was hilarious was me watching her watch it because She's seen the Godzilla movie. She she really liked Kong Skull Island, mm-hmm. and then this is essentially the third movie in that series of people because they're going to make a bunch of these. Um, but uh, my favorite thing is they get like Ken Watanabe to come back and just sort of talk low and really respectful <laughs> about Godzilla. Like let it, he's the best part about the first movie and that he's always saying something he's always like staring off into the distance and saying something like let them fight and like just hilarious stuff like that and so when he shows up in the trailer i just cry and i was like hey ken's here to provide us some sort of dramatic exposition about giant monsters and their place in the world but uh but i love these as a kid man i loved i love monster movies i love all those Godzilla movies and every version of King Kong that ever came out. And, you know, so I'm a sucker for this. This is right up my alley. I like to see them wreck buildings and cities and whatnot. As we've said before, like I like a good movie like this when it's executed. Well, I just haven't, I don't know that there's been a Godzilla movie that, that fits that bill. You know, we, we think we both raved about Kong skull Island last year. And I know we've told many people about that. And that movie is paced really well. The monsters are interesting. It's not too complex. The people, the way they work in people with the monsters, which is always the big challenge, right? It's like, mm-hmm. how do you work in people on a, on a when the monsters are giant scale um, to make it mean something? Transformers suffers from that. The people are just sort of there. Kind of around. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and that's what I worry about with these movies. I, I Obviously, they have a good cast, and they did in the last one. But the fact that I can't remember whether or not I saw the last one kind of says to me <laughs> what I need to know about this. The first the first God, well, the Godzilla movie with Aaron Taylor Johnson is very much a sort of an art movie. It's, but I, that's, think, I think literally Godzilla is literally in that movie for something like eight, like 12 minutes. Okay. He's not in it a lot. It's more about this guy who's trying to get home to his family amidst this this giant thing going on in the background. It's basically it's 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 a monster movie. It's a it's a monster movie flipped on its head, really. It's sort of about these these people dealing with life as in the background these giant monsters are fighting each other. And then there's right. there's a big Godzilla payoff scene and then and then that's that. But um I think I think 
I think we're more monster focused now, which I think might make it more entertaining for for more people. Perhaps. So I did just for accuracy's sake, I did look it up. So I, I hate to be wrong. And Gamera is the flying turtle, uh, which oh. I do think maybe shows up in this movie. Ghidorah. Ghidorah. Well, no, that's that. That's no. That's what it is. That the multi, the multi-headed beast is King Ghidorah. There we go. Yes, and Gamera is the turtle. It's, so I can, I can turtle see the, with the flying turtle with the jets coming out of his his leg holes. Yes. Yeah. And without getting too far away from the, the main thread here, have you ever showed your kids Superhuman Samurai Cyber Squad? I have not. You should. I don't. I don't think I'm familiar with it myself. Um, it reminds me. You know what Ultraman is. Oh, sure. I grew up on Ultraman. Okay, so Superhuman Samurai Cyber Squad is like Voltron, but with real people. Okay. Um, and I, I'm not an expert. I remember watching a lot of it because there was a period of time, uh, and I've told you this story before, about living in Alaska where we didn't have cable and we literally had an antenna. So I watched whatever came in on the antenna. Sure. <laughs> which included the, the quadruple S. Um, anyway... It's uh, it rem- it's very Godzilla adjacent in that there is a there are scenes in every episode where it, it it's like live action Voltron where it's two people yeah. in costumes fighting in a fake city. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Ultraman. Ultraman's that way, and it's awesome. Yeah. It's 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 adjacent to Ultraman. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's two adjacents in less than a minute. <laughs> Got it. I know how I know how you're very fond of the adjacent. All right, so I'm going to give Godzilla King of the Monsters. I'll probably see it in the theater. You're you're going to wait. I will not see it in the theater. All right, fair enough. The next movie we wanted to talk about is a movie called Triple Frontier. Now, Triple Frontier, I, f- I saw the original. I saw well, the original. I saw the the first time I saw the um, the trailer was during a football game over the weekend, like mm-hmm. a Sunday, and I was sitting there and it flashed up, and I was like, oh look. Here's a lot of people I know looking at a high production movie. And then it said Netflix presents. I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. How the heck did Netflix pull this together? And, um, and apparently it's going to be in theaters and on Netflix together. So we'll, we'll spend a couple of minutes talking about this because it's worth it. Now the, it is star powered, right? We've got yeah. Affleck. Yes. We've got, um, Isaac, Isaac, yeah, we've got um, Garrett Headland. Yep, we got Charlie Hunnam. Yep, we got Pablo Pascal. Pedro, Pedro Pascal. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry to the Viper. I don't like to. I don't like to short give him short shrift like that. But he's having a nice career ever since the mountain crushed his face. Yeah, uh, four years ago, which is good. I like. I like seeing him. Yeah, watching and, this trailer, uh, I was very much excited about. Hey, it's it's like it's a bunch of my guys. We're gonna hang out with the guys. Let's just go rob some drug dealers with the guys. Right, right. So the the setup is United States Special Forces guys decide they're going to they're going to rob a South American drug cartel guy. Yeah. I mean, what else do you need? And then that's it with those with those five guys. Right. I mean, it's essentially uh, going to be a, an action caper. It's an action caper. I, it, it, uh, it. I think it seems a little kind of inspired by. Oh, it's like uh, Zero Dark Thirty plus Fast and Furious, and then with Mega Star Power. I can't. I, I can't wait to see this. Like, for, on Netflix. I just. 
Is this is this an is this something is this, is this a signal to big movie to say that uh, Netflix might be delivering movies like this as opposed to putting them in the theaters because Netflix knows that it's going to drive subscriptions. Like how many you know? I, I you know. I wonder if if I wonder if the people in Netflix are sitting around thinking that they'll drive they'll drive people to Netflix with a movie like this and then. And then, and then they'll stay, right? They'll just keep. They'll just keep. They'll they'll find enough content and say, "Oh, I'll I'll go ahead and binge this and this and this and this." So you think they're using the the gift card method, which is like gift cards make most of their money on the ones that never get used, right? Like just yes. you'll sign up and then you'll just forget that you signed up and it's ten bucks a month and it's not mm. enough for you to stop it because that's a pain in the ass. But <laughs> maybe. And I thought I have the same thought. Maybe it was a year or two ago when the, the Will Smith there was a Will Smith movie that yeah that, bright it was last year it was last year it was bright mm-hmm. I thought they were doing the same thing with that although I never even though I see it on my Netflix I don't think I've ever watched it's it. fine watch it? it's yeah it's if you don't have anything to watch it's watchable but it's not I'm not like you need to run out and see it it's not a, uh-huh. something you need to worry about I, it, but, does it, it doesn't get you as jazzed to say Triple Frontier Triple does. Frontier I was watching this this trailer and I was like. This is excellent. It's sort of like if uh, Point Break was just about um, Bodie and his crew. Like instead of having to worry about the, you know, following along with the cop being the protagonist, it's just the, they're going to establish these guys as good, good hearted guys who have been conscripted to do evil things in the service of their country. Mm-hmm. And then who use that that aspect of their personality to justify the taking advantage of what right. the, all the, all the skills they've learned to what, uh, what we're, this is, and this, and from a movie standpoint for the people who watch movies, you know, you know, we're going to do, we're going to do this one job and then we're all going to be out. Exactly. <laughs> we have to disappear. <laughs> oh yes. Yeah. No, no, no. Anyway, it's, it's always much more complicated than you think guys. You can't just rip off a club. You just can't rip off a South American drug Lord and this and think you're going to walk. So before we break from this, of the five core guys here, Affleck, Isaac, Hunnam, Hedlund, and Pascal, who lives? Hedlund dies first. <laughs> you think so? Oh, yeah. No question about it. Um, let's see. They all die. I think it's a pretty safe bet. I, I think one of them probably has to get out. Somebody's going to have to, uh, I think, uh, I'm going to say... Uh, Pablo Pascal. I'm going with Hunnam because the trailer makes it seem like he's the the conscience of the group. Like he's the only one who seems reticent. I agree with you with you that Headland will die first. <laughs> he dies. It's always the young, good-looking one. He, who he's dies pretty. First. It's tragic. Yeah. <laughs> he's going out. You know, I've never been a big fan of him, but I liked him in that super weird Peter Pan movie. The one with Hugh Jackman. Oh, he's in that one. Yeah, he's like the the. He's Captain Hook, but they're buddies. Wait, what? <laughs> Which one was that one? Well, now I got to look it up. I don't have it handy. Peter, is that one called Peter? Is that one just called Peter Pan? I think it's called Pan, right? Yes. Gary Hedlund is Captain Hook, and they have to fight Blackbeard, who's Hugh Jackman. Man, I missed that one completely. It's super weird, and you, but you, it's it's entertaining enough that you should go watch it. Is there a wildly racist musical number in it? 
No. Because that's, that's how I like my Peter Pan oh my movies. God. Well, I mean, Rooney Mara does play Tiger Lily, so, you know, also, there's some whitewashing. <laughs> there's a little the whitewash. Well, so, well, now that we're into the OT, let's just, we'll just start with this. Um, Peter Pan became available recently to purchase on, you know how Disney only releases their movies every few years to buy and then they go away for a long time? They go into the vault. Yes. So Peter Pan's sitting there and I'm like, I had never shown it to the kids because I remember that there's just a lot of inappropriate racism in it. I've I've complained before on Twitter that somebody needs to make a not racist cut of this movie because there's some fun stuff in it, right? Sure. Um, So we were really starving for entertainment one week, one weekend evening. And my wife's like, well, let's just get it. And, you know, we'll, we'll watch it and see. And we watched it, and it's much worse than I thought. It's like the pervasive, like the shitty attitudes, the patriarchy shit, the uh, the racism. The, right. I mean, it well, is the just... Fact, I mean, the, the, the story is based on the fact that this grown man wants to kill these children. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, yes. that's the basis of the whole thing. Well, it's a revenge story, because, you know, they in their apparently play fighting, at some point, Peter cuts his hand off and feeds no, it to he, the... No. Oh, feeds yeah, it to the crocodile. Fills with the crocodile. Yeah. yeah. And, the, the, and the crocodile liked the taste of Hook so much, he, he was kept coming back for more. Right. Anyway, it was uh, much more... It's attitudes towards, attitudes toward women and natives, natives was not good, and I don't think I will ever show it to my children again. <laughs> <laughs> I think, my, I think my, my nephews and niece used to watch it all the time. But uh, what year was that thing made? Oh, Peter Pan? Oh, I don't know. It's got to be like 1930, 1940 something. I mean, that's, I mean, I mean, old Disney is old Disney. I mean, again, it's a different time and place. 53. Yeah, it's 1953. I mean. Oh, that says something <laughs> that I thought it was 1938. Sure. It's not like you didn't break out an old VHS of Song of the South. Uh, but there's the, the way the women are around Peter, like the way the mermaids are around Peter, the way the, oh, merma- sure. the mermaids deal with Wendy. It's all really uncomfortable. I was really, I was very uncomfortable the whole time. I was like. I can't wait for this to be over. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. The, uh, um, yeah. Peter himself's kind that. of a dismissive prick. Like it's really, it's oh. not great. He's complete. Well, that's, that's the other part of it, right? He's not interested in, he's not interested in Wendy at all. No. Like Wendy's, Wendy's all like Peter. And yeah. Jesus, he's like, whatever, whatever lady. It's like, I'm, I'm just here to, I'm here just to crow and sword fight and be a kid. La la la, all right, all right. And to wrap up the OT, I thought I'd just wrap up uh, with our with um, time person of the year. They they named time person of the year, sort of. And the mo- <laughs> and I think we've established that time is not even a like doctors' offices don't even have Time magazine stuck in them. I don't even know where people can consume Time magazine or pick it up or can you buy it on the newsstand? I don't even think it, it, does it get carried anywhere. But uh, they did. They did Airports. name their. They did name their person of the year, and it is the journalists, the guardians, the guardians. Is that yes. what it's called? Yeah, a, specifically a, a group of journalists who have been targeted for their work. So it's all journalists who have been persecuted. Yeah, and and I and I'm not and I'm not. I think this is where I think I want to say about journalists is first of all, journalism is in this day and age is completely thankless it pays no money (laughs) and the people who do it do it out of 
you know, some sense, I think, of trying to shed light, bring truth. I think there's an altruistic, um, you know, motive that I think most journalists have. Uh, and unfortunately, I think a lot of them get tired of living in hovels and eating ramen and decide to have to do something else where, because opinion actually makes money in, in that town, in that, uh-huh. in that space and not actual journalism. So I do want to say good for journalists who, who do, do what they do, but boo for Time Magazine for not, pick a person. I mean, what, I mean, it's called person of the year, right? Yeah. It just it seems like a goofy thing for them to do. Yeah. Um, but um, but I do I did want to take this opportunity to say that I think journalists are well underappreciated, and um, and in this day and age, unfortunately, get you murdered, right? Yeah. It's it's unfortunate, and I am with you on the pick somebody, but I also think they feel a need to do something to address the ongoing waking nightmare that we're sort of living through with regard to what you're talking about with journalistic persecution and, and, uh, the, you know, they call it like, as they call it the war for truth. Yeah. Well, I think that there's, there's our society kind of talks out of both sides of their ass on this deal in that they say, we really need journalists to do this, this hard work and to expose all the, you know, horrors and inequities and all and celebrate the good and do all the things that journalists are supposed to do in a society. And then no one wants to pay for any of it. Nobody Uh wants like, I want free news. I want free everything. The internet should just provide me all that stuff. And I don't, and I shouldn't ever have to pay for it. And I think that as consumers at some point you need to start, we need to start valuing, you know, what, what goes on. I mean, I can't watch the network news. I think it's terrible. Uh-huh. Um, but I did start watching PBS news hour and, and I, I actually think I'm going to give money to PBS because I enjoy PBS news hour so much that I am going to make a donation to PBS so that they can keep running that program. Cause I think it's an excellent source of news and, and I'm ready to put my money where my mouth is. I think it's an important thing that they do. I think they do a particularly good job of it. I, uh-huh. I don't think it's particularly... It doesn't skew one way or the other. They're very good about factual reporting and and taking on issues that they take a very... Uh, I don't know. A journalistic approach toward. Uh-huh. Um, they're not trying to sell commercials. They're not trying to sell you on anything. And so, um, so I've really been enjoying it over the past few months. So... Uh, I'm going to kick down to PBS for that. So I, I would, I would encourage people to try to find what they feel are good sources of news and support them in some way, shape, or form, so that we can keep, you know, you know, the, you know, this kind of, uh, you know, this, these, these things alive in our in our society because I think they're super important. I agree. Well, I'd like to take this moment since you brought it up to plug uh, the Correspondent, which is a Dutch newspaper that is. There's no ads at all. It's driven entirely by subscription revenue. And they're going back to this model where they're bringing it to the U.S. and they're trying to essentially crowdfund for a year of OPEX in order to put this out in the U.S. and prove that it's worth it to have people be willing to fund something like this, to get something out of it, to put something into it and get something out of it that actually makes the world a better place. And it's gone, I guess, really well in... uh, 
Amsterdam. Sorry, I totally forgot who, who Dutch people are there for a second. Uh, it's gone really well in Amsterdam, um, in Der Nederlander. And uh, so they run as a nonprofit and they just do deep dive news and, and you know, really quality reporting. Um, so if you're interested in, in that kind of thing, uh, check out the correspondent. Um, I know they haven't reached their funding goal yet. Uh, I donated. I'm probably going to donate again because I would really like to have a, you know, a, a place that's not revenue driven. Like you say, you say people who want to have it for free. Well, you know, if, if ads are the product, then you're not going to get real news. Um, so go out there and fund the correspondent and let's all get uh, back on our feet with a shared set of facts. Huh? Sounds good. Sounds good to me. I'm with it. And I think that uh, and with that, I think we'll wrap it up. Sounds good to me. Well, it's been a pleasure doing this for the last year with you, Chris. Uh, I look forward to, you know, countless more shows in the future um, and new adventures in uh, 2019. We're obviously not signing off. We'll have another show next week. Um, but uh, we appreciate everybody who's grown with us over the last year. And uh, if you're new to the show or you've only been listening for a couple of weeks, we appreciate you just as much. We'd really like to, you know, have you tell us what you like or don't like about the show. Uh, that's why we give our give out our Twitters uh, at the top. And uh, thanks to all of you for listening to the Two on Three Pod. And please know we do appreciate tremendously the time you choose to spend with us. Uh, if you don't already, please subscribe. And we'd love to get a rate or review on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. And like I said, don't be shy about sharing your thoughts and suggestions for the show. We'll be back next time with more shenanigans. And until then, peace. peace.